Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, January 10th. In today's news, the House votes to limit President Trump's ability to attack Iran. The Justice Department winds down a Hillary Clinton inquiry that had been pushed by Trump. It found nothing of consequence. And a billion animals have been caught in Australia's fires. Some may go extinct. But first, the big idea. Instant messages and other internal Boeing documents released on Thursday night show company employees discussing efforts to manipulate U.S. and international safety regulators. In one 2018 message, an employee wrote, quote, I still haven't been forgiven by God for the covering up I did last year. In a 2017 email, another Boeing employee wrote of the 737 MAX jet that's been grounded in the United States since last year, quote, this airplane is designed by clowns who in turn are supervised by monkeys. Another exchange between Boeing employees, this one from August 2015, features engineers complaining about safety regulators getting in their way. A hundred pages of damning documents were turned over by Boeing's lawyers to congressional investigators who were probing how the 737 MAX could possibly have been certified by the Federal Aviation Administration as safe before the two crashes that killed 346 people. In another message from 2018, an employee voices concerns over deficiencies with a simulator. He wrote that he wouldn't let his family fly on one of these specific planes, but they sold them anyway. Lawmakers in both parties, in both the House and the Senate, agree that these communications paint a deeply disturbing picture of the lengths Boeing was apparently willing to go to evade scrutiny from regulators. At issue in some of the messages is whether simulator training should be required for pilots flying the MAX. The documents show Boeing went to extreme lengths to prevent such a requirement, in part because it would be costly. On Thursday, Boeing said in a statement that these communications do not reflect the company's values and that they're completely unacceptable. The company added that it has not found any instances of misrepresentations to the FAA. The FAA responded that its experts have reviewed the documents and they determined that nothing in them points to any additional safety risks that have not already been identified as part of their ongoing review of proposed modifications to the aircraft. In another email chain from June 2017, the chief technical pilot at Boeing forwarded to colleagues messages in which he had persuaded an airline, which is not identified in the documents, it's redacted, not to require simulator training on the MAX for its pilots. He wrote, quote, looks like my Jedi mind trick worked again, with an exclamation mark. In a shift, Boeing said this week that it is now recommending that pilots do undergo simulator training before they resume flying the 737 MAX. The FAA, which will have the final say, says it will consider Boeing's recommendation. Now, it's important to note that these documents are about the 737 MAX. That's a different aircraft from the 737-800, another Boeing aircraft, that went down on Wednesday in Iran. Western officials said yesterday that they believe an Iranian missile accidentally hit that Ukrainian plane that crashed near Tehran. The assessments, based on intelligence reports from the United States, Canada, and elsewhere, were met with quick dismissals from Iran and suggested deepening divides over the unfolding investigation. 
In Washington, U.S. intelligence officials said they have, quote, high confidence that the 737-800, which was bound for the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv, was targeted by air defense systems as Iranian forces were already on high alert because of their strikes on U.S. targets inside Iraq. The passenger plane was apparently hit by an SA-15 surface-to-air missile, which is part of a Russian-made air defense system, also known as the TOR system. Ukraine's president is now publicly pleading with Western leaders to share with him the intelligence that his airline's flight, it was a Ukrainian carrier, was brought down by the Iranian missile. Volodymyr Zelensky had phone conversations yesterday with the heads of state from Canada, Britain, Sweden, and Iran. Notably, he did not speak with Trump. Remember, it was their July 25th phone call that set in motion the series of events that led to the whistleblower complaint and then, ultimately, the president's impeachment. On the impeachment front, Speaker Nancy Pelosi said during her news conference yesterday that she will probably send the articles over to the Senate, quote, soon. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as this week comes to an end. Number one, the House voted late last night to prevent Trump from taking additional military action against Iran in an opening move in a Democratic-led campaign to reassert congressional authority over the use of force abroad. The 224 to 194 vote, which came a day after the administration's senior national security officials briefed lawmakers about the strike that killed a top Iranian commander, fell largely along party lines, with three Republicans and a Republican-turned-independent, Justin Amash, endorsing the resolution. Eight Democrats opposed the measure, most of them from swing districts. Of all people, Matt Gates, the Republican congressman from Florida, one of Trump's closest allies on the Hill, worked with Democrats after Wednesday's briefings to fine-tune the resolution. He ultimately crossed the aisle to support it. He explained that he represents a naval base in Pensacola and said there are more active-duty members of the military in his district than any other in the country. And he said that's why he believes so strongly that, quote, engaging in another forever war in the Middle East would be the wrong decision. But the critical form is the Senate, where Democrats are in the minority and will need the help of at least four Republicans to pass a similar war powers resolution. Put forward by Tim Kaine, the measure could come up for a vote as early as next week. Republican Senators Mike Lee and Rand Paul have committed to supporting Kaine's resolution, fuming that administration officials failed to specify during their briefing when, if ever, they might seek Congress's approval for military strikes. Kane told us last night that he's discussing his resolution with Susan Collins from Maine and Todd Young from Indiana, in addition to Lee and Paul, and selectively editing the text, such as removing language that specifically addresses Trump by name, in hopes that doing so will build enough support to secure Senate approval. Procedurally, it's likely that the House will have to take up whatever resolution passes the Senate, should it pass, in order to send Trump a war powers resolution that has the weight of potential law. It is also extremely likely that should they succeed, the president will veto it and Congress will not be able to muster enough votes to override that veto. Number two, the Justice Department is winding down the Hillary Clinton related inquiry that Trump pushed it to launch. Prosecutors found nothing of consequence and no criminal wrongdoing. John Huber, the conservative U.S. attorney in Utah appointed by Trump, was tapped in November 2017 by then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions to look into concerns raised by Trump and his allies in Congress and on Fox News that the FBI had not fully pursued cases of possible corruption at the Clinton Foundation and during Clinton's time as Secretary of State. 
when the U.S. government decided not to block the sale of a company called Uranium One. As a part of his review, Huber examined documents and conferred with federal law enforcement officials in Little Rock who were handling a meandering probe into the Clinton Foundation that had stretched on for several years. Current and former officials tell the Post that Huber has largely finished his work and found nothing worth pursuing further, though the assignment has not formally ended and no official notice has been sent to the Justice Department. Number three, the mouse-sized dunnert is not as iconic as the koalas or the platypuses that draw tourists, but it's arguably the most special mammal on Australia's Kangaroo Island. Now, the Kangaroo Island's dunnert's days may be numbered. Before brush fires struck, it was already endangered. So rare, in fact, that even researchers who have devoted their career to studying them have never seen one. Now they fear they never will. One third of the 1,700 square mile island has burned, including the entire area where these dunnerts are known to live. More than 1 billion mammals, birds, and reptiles around Australia, some of them found nowhere else on Earth, may have been affected or killed by the fires sweeping across the massive island, its own continent. That's according to a new estimate from the University of Sydney. The potential toll is far greater when other types of animals are included. Individual animals might survive, but when their habitat is gone, it doesn't matter. They'll die anyway. Speaking to Catholics yesterday, Pope Francis lamented that 2020 is off to a rough start. He said the first 10 days of this year do not seem to be marked by encouraging signs. Seems like an understatement. The Pope spent 45 minutes talking about wars and could-be wars, exploitation, sexual abuse, internet hate speech, international indifference to humanitarian crises, and the depressing state of the world's fight against climate change. The Pope called heightened tensions between the United States and Iran particularly troubling, but his remarks amounted to a laundry list of flashpoints, both major and obscure, from Burkina Faso to Venezuela and the fires in Australia. Certainly, the Pope said, hope has to be realistic. He explained that this demands acknowledging the many troubling issues confronting our world and the challenges lurking on the horizon. It requires that problems be called by their name, the Pope said. He added that, quote, we must find the courage to resolve them. And that's the Daily 202 for Friday, January 10th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Have a good weekend. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. 